0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode three of the Star Sit Down. Today we have the great guest, Professor Gilbert Martinez. How are you doing?
1: Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Good. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. So how's uh how's the semester been for you doing everything online?
1: Yeah, so I'm teaching um remotely. All my classes are taught completely online. I think it's going well so far. You know, we're we're in the fourth week. Hard to believe we've been at this for a month, but I feel like I'm in a good rhythm, uh, really enjoy what I'm t- teaching, really love my students. And uh, so far, so good, I think.
0: Good, good. So tell, tell some of the people about uh, what you do teach at Texas State, because that's one of the big reasons why I wanted you to come on was uh, to have a dialogue about your, uh, your uh, area.
1: Yeah, so my main area is media law and ethics. I've been teaching this class for 17 years at Texas State. Uh, Really passionate about the topics involving the First Amendment and other issues related to um, media law, you know, such as libel and privacy, intellectual property. Um, I also teach an honors version of that class. In the past, I've taught it in the spring. Hope to do that again in the future. I've done that for more than 10 years. I've also taught media writing, uh, 1313, in School of Journalism and Mass Communication. I've taught a couple of other classes, but those are the main classes that I teach.
0: Okay. Okay, good. I'm, uh, I'm moving a little fast. I'm sorry. I'm excited. Um, We had talked, we talked briefly about you coming on the sit down at the um, Camp Star. And I really enjoyed our conversation about kind of the, the media and the public perception of the media. And the trust is there because I have a, I have a bunch of like opinions on this topic. I I talk to a lot of people who are very opinionated about the media. Obviously, I work at the Star. So you know, I'm, I'm with a bunch of journalists. And, and whatnot. So, tell me, before we get started into diving into that area, give me a little bit more about your background because I know you studied at Fordham in New York. I'm from New York. So, um, just give me, give me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the short story, I guess, is that um, I grew up in South Texas in McAllen. I was uh, very interested in journalism and writing at an early age. I was editor of my high school newspaper, I had an aunt and uncle in New Jersey um, who were journalists and who I looked up to and they sort of took me under their wing. I was editor of my college newspaper at UT Pan American, which is now UT, Rio Grande Valley. Um, and after, actually while I was still in college, I had an internship at a newspaper in Jersey City, New Jersey. And that's what kind of uh, started my journalism career. I had a summer in Washington, DC with a, a Newhouse News Service, which was a great experience for me. Um, and then after I was done with college, I got a job at the Jersey Journal and I worked there for four years before later going on to be uh, to go to law school at Fordham University School of Law. Um, and when I was done with that, I had a legal fellowship that brought me back to Texas. And the day-to-day practice of law wasn't quite for me, but, it, but I transitioned into teaching So that's what I've been doing for the last 17, 18 years now.
0: What what made you so interested in the topic of media law specifically?
1: Uh, Well, you know, when I was a journalist, I got interested in the law, just generally in the law, because I was a court reporter. I was covering criminal and civil trials. I was spending time with lawyers. I was interviewing judges, covering trials and legal issues. And I guess you could say I drank the Kool-Aid You know, because everyone was telling me I need to go to law school. And so I really thought about going to law school, not really to become a lawyer, but to become a better reporter. I had these dreams of working for a national publication and covering interesting trials all across the country. Um, And it didn't quite work out that way. I kind of got the law bug a little bit and landed a legal fellowship, you know, back in Texas. But, you know, three years of law school and two years in a legal fellowship. you know, kind of showed me that going from daily deadlines in a newspaper is very different from working as a lawyer or in a law firm, where sometimes you're working on cases or a case law that might take years and years. It just wasn't a good fit for me and that's what led me to teaching. So media law specifically I'm interested in because of my background as a journalist and because I'm very interested in First Amendment issues, free speech issues in particular, Um, And that's really the bulk of what we teach in media law class. So it's something I'm really passionate about. and something I enjoy teaching.
0: So you, um, so you had the background as a journalist, you, you, you liked being, you know, in the area of law, but you're like, you know, I kind of like going back to, to my roots of being a journalist. And that's how that got you to teaching?
1: Yeah, you know, I guess it was a couple of things. I mean, I, I was at a, was at a crossroads of sorts, right? Like if I had spent you know, three years in law school and I decided I wasn't gonna work as a lawyer that just wasn't for me, um, so what do I do? And I guess I was very lucky you know, to learn that the law degree is treated as a terminal degree, which means that it qualifies me to teach at the college level. And the only things I felt qualified to teach are really in the area of journalism. Um, and media law is a perfect fit because of my background as a journalist, because of my law degree, um, and it's worked out very well. I mean, it, it, it's a topic that I know a lot about. It's a topic that I have experience with as a journalist, and I can bring those real-world experiences when I um, have class and share with students and also with student media, like with the University Star, KTSW Radio. Uh, so it's been a really good fit for me. So that, that's been my interest, and that, that's, that's what really gets me going every day.
0: Well, I can say it was um, really nice hearing from you at um, Camp Star when you did come in. And, um, you know, it was really nice, especially at the end when you were like, you know, are you guys OK? You know, because often, at least my perspective in, in higher ed is that a lot of professors they don't really do that. You know, you, you kind of have to go out and, and talk to them and try and get them to, you know, try and develop a connection but you, you know, especially me, because I had never met you before that. You were like, are you guys doing OK? It's really important to take care of your mental health. Don't just focus on school. Do what you need to do. So I really appreciate that from you as a as a professor. And another thing that made me really happy when you were at Camp Star is you actually made it interesting. And that's why I wanted to continue the conversation with you. So... um when we talk about like ethics in the media, cause this is something I've been so curious about and I kind of want to go back to what we had talked about beforehand. Like, what is the compass in terms? Cause I feel like a lot of people, especially the public have this perception of the media as they have bias. They're trying to lean me one way or the other, or they have kind of a secret agenda. So can you talk a bit more about that?
1: Yeah. First of all, let me thank you. You're very kind. Um, you know, I try to make a connection with every student, whether they're in my class or whether I meet them through student media or wherever. But I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed my presentation at Camp Star. I really enjoyed that conversation and I love being part of that. I love working with Laura Krantz and the student editors and student journalists like yourself. So thank you very much for those kind words. Um, you know, the, the idea about ethics in journalism is a really large topic and, and part of the problem and part of the public misconception, I think, is that they think about the media as kind of like one monolithic thing and they lump everything together. You know, whether we're talking about news organizations, you know, legacy news organizations like newspapers or just online news, or if we're talking about these news aggregators or news aggregators that are on one side of the political spectrum or another, you know, it's really a matter of education, you know, or lack of education where the public may not have an understanding that what they see on their phone, someone shared it on Facebook, let's say, and they'll say, well, there goes the media again. You know, here's a fake story, or here's a hoax, or here's whatever. But most people don't dig any deeper to find out that, oh, you know, that comes from a joke site. You know, they're making a joke. That's not a serious story. Or the people that are sharing it, you know, really what they're doing is they're exposing their own biases, right? Whatever they think about this current president, or about the previous president, or you name it. They see a story, the headline makes them laugh maybe, oh, I'm gonna share this with my followers, I'm gonna share this with my friends and family. Um, the next thing you know, you know, this kinds of stuff pollutes our social media feeds and we don't know what's real or what's not. And you know, some of the advice that I have for my students in my media writing class and also in my media law class is to diversify their news sources and to dig a little deep, you know, to find out where they're getting their news from and to not just trust everything that comes along even something that looks like it's legitimate may actually be from a fake site. So the idea of ethics is that, you know, I think I think there is lots of great journalism going on. I think there are strong news organizations doing the best they can under these incredible circumstances with the pandemic to keep us informed, to help us make good decisions about a number of issues. Um, it's just that there are also a lot of political influences going on that, is interfering with people getting the information they need even if it's information that will help them they're so distrustful you know for whatever reason they've been burned they they had a bad experience or you know whatever it is and and there's a lot of mistrust out there and you know i think it my my perspective is that it seems to me like there's a lot of cynicism out there and the cynicism um, to me kind of comes along like this I have a particular point of view, and anything that challenges it must be wrong, so I'm (laughs) gonna disregard that. And anything that comes that confirms what I believe, well, I believe that, that's the only thing I believe. Now, if you're someone that is logical and reasonable, and if you're someone that uses critical thinking skills, then I suggest you diversify your news sources and you see, like, well, I wonder if this story is true. I wonder, are there other news organizations publishing this? Are they broadcasting this? Is this being reported? And then you can come to a better understanding of what's going on. The thing is is that that's hard work. That's not easy. And all of us are busy. All of us want things quick. And so we make shortcuts. And the problem with shortcuts is that it makes us susceptible to being spun one way or the other. Um, And so it's a very complicated a topic. And ethics in media, you know, I, mean, I think there are a lot of journalists and news organizations that are doing a great job upholding their ethical responsibilities, but they get lumped in with everybody else. And that's when it gets confusing, I think.
0: So do you think a big problem is that a lot of people don't, a lot of people want to just be right, you know, they don't want to have their views challenged. And do you think that that's like a big issue? Because I think a lot of people in in America are really one side or the other. I don't think there are a lot of people that are, or I may be wrong in that, in that those might just be the vocal minorities who are just extremists on one side or the other. Do do you think that that may be the case and that just the minorities are the most vocal and that a lot of people may actually be trying to get real information?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate what you said because it makes me think about my own thoughts that I've long thought that, you know, when you think about the political spectrum, it's the ones on the end that make the most noise and get the most attention because they're most extreme or whatever, where most of us are probably somewhere in the middle, where we probably have more in common than we don't, right? I mean, when you think about the the protests that have happened on any particular issue, at the core of it, you know, is wanting to be safe, and wanting to not feel like, you know, your life is threatened just because you stepped out your, your door, you know? And, and I think that's a common human trait, but it's been turned into this political issue that's being argued and shouted about, you know, and it kind of drowns everything else out. And, and I think that, that we create these misunderstandings or misperceptions if we only rely with what we see online. Like, oh, it's so ugly, everyone's so ugly, everyone's so whatever. And we mistake that for the real world. You know, I think at the local level, you know, I think we live around people that agree with us on some issues, may disagree with us sharply on other issues, but I think that we have more in common if we can kind of strip away the kind of prejudices and the, and the uh, discrimination that we all might engage in, you know, whether we're conscious of it or not. Um, but but I, I, it, it seems to me that there's a filter when you only look at things through online content or behavior I think it's skews to the extremes it seems to me.
0: Why, Why do you think that everything is so easily politicized now? Because I think in this age of we have so much information that a lot of things just seem to become political you know the case in point be like the mask it became a political debate when it was you know initially based off science. Do you think that the, do you think that some people may use the media as a scapegoat for the politicism of a lot of these topics today?
1: Yeah, I think people are going to do that, you know, no matter what the issue is. Like, I don't really think this is anything new. It's just very pronounced right now. And it's especially pronounced because this is a serious matter, this pandemic. And there's a political fight over whether we should listen to scientists and doctors and the scientific method about how to keep, keep us safe. You know, and we have some examples all around the world, you know, countries that have taken measures, that have done things, and they're at a different place than the United States currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does raise some questions about, are we doing everything we can to minimize the spread of this pandemic? You know, there's a lot of concern about winter coming on and the flu season. How is that going to impact um, uh, coronavirus? You know, uh, COVID-19, um, and it has become a political issue. You know, but and, and it's most unfortunate because I think that it is contributing to suffering. It's contributing to people knowingly or unknowingly getting injured, getting hurt. You know, uh, some people aren't able to work right now. You know, because They can't do their work remotely. So that's bad. But there's also people who have families to support. They have to do jobs and they're on the front lines. They don't have a choice in the matter. So they got to do whatever they can to be safe. And hopefully their companies are providing, you know, what they need to be safe. But it's a really difficult situation. And everybody needs to kind of determine, you know, well, what's most important. And some people say, look, it's it's the economy that's most important. People need to make money, they need to work. And then others say, well, you know, should profits come over lives? You know, and so you can easily see how this becomes very personal. You know, some people have lost loved ones in this fight. Uh, We also have seen that um, COVID-19 affects communities of color at a much greater rate than others. Um, and, and, And that's very concerning because the death toll continues to rise as a country we're approaching 200,000 deaths, um, and those are 200,000 lives. And imagine everybody, you know, that loved those people, family members, friends. You know, maybe you know people. You know, I, I know people who've been infected. So it, it's not an easy situation by any stretch. Um, but I think it's really related to uh, politics and power and money, and sort of the struggle over those things. Um, and exposes you know, some questions about our society. And is this the way that we want it? Is this the way that we wanna continue it? Uh, in some ways, this is what the presidential election is about, where you have candidates that are expressing certain points of view, and then the American people are gonna go to the ballot box and, and make a decision, and we'll see what happens in November. You know, but this is the political process, right? Um, you probably have heard this before, You know where you've heard someone say well everything's political and you know you and you can really identify that when you think about access to education when you think about loans when you think about purchasing a house you know you're probably going to purchase a house later on in life but that's something you know you want to know if you're going to be treated fairly you want to know if you're going to have the same access you know to loans to purchase a home a long-term loan um access to jobs access, access to education as i mentioned um, so th- this is where things do uh, become political very, very quickly. Yeah, it's true.
0: So another thing that I'm, I'm very interested about is obviously we, we're in the age of information and information is so easy to get. You know, I can do a Google search, get results in under a second about anything. So do you feel like part of the reason that it's so easily, it's so easy for people to have this distrust in the media and maybe not believe in science and maybe believe these these famous political figures is because there's so much information and that, you know, there's so much, and some people are like, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to look at this article and then have to look up another article that's giving me different information and I have to think for myself. So I'm just going to give up, you know, I'm just going to say it is what it is. I'm just going to get information from these people. I like these people. Do you think, do you think that's a big reason why everything is so easily politicized and why misinformation is so rampant?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a contributing factor. And look, I'm an educator. This is my profession. I really think it comes down to media literacy, right? It's about educating people about where to find reliable pieces of information, you know, reliable news you know, that they can use to make decisions in their lives. Uh, this is not easy. You're right. People are busy. They don't have time to analyze every single thing, but they can make the effort. To find reliable news sources. And there are, there are studies that, it, that show where news organizations fall on sort of like a, a bias chart. And you know, if you rely on sources that are more in the middle, they're more objective, they're more neutral, then you're less likely to be spun one way or the other. You're more likely to get a, a broader perspective on what's really going on, whether it's about the election, the pandemic, you know, you name it, the economy, whatever. Um, But it takes some effort and to me that's that's about media literacy it's also about all of us have a personal responsibility you know if we are on social media and we're connected with friends and family and we're sharing things just willy-nilly just whatever what made me laugh i shared it this this and whatever whatever you know then what you're doing is you're polluting as i mentioned earlier i think you're polluting the social media feed and so me personally you know if someone is sharing things that clearly are not true clearly are just trying to get a rise out of people or whatever. Well, that's not someone that I'm interested in hearing more from, you know, and I'm not a censorship guy, right, as a as a free speech guy. Uh, But I don't I, I don't feel like I need to engage, you know, with someone that's doing that, because to me, that's not someone that's engaging in the real world. So again, we all have a responsibility. We should think twice before we share something. Um, we should be open-minded. And, you know, I mean, some of these things sound almost un-American, you know, where, you know, you mentioned something earlier about how everyone always wants to be right. I think it's the opposite. I think it's more healthy to think, well, maybe I'm not right. Maybe I'm wrong. Because that's what leads to meaningful conversation. So here's my opinion about immigration, the election, the, the environment, global change, whatever. Um, but I might be wrong. So why don't you tell me what you think? Well, what have you read? Um, why, wow, I never thought about it that way before. Um, you know, I should do some more investigating. Let me see. You know, to me, that, that's, that's a mature adult way to approach these things. Not, I'm right, you're wrong, so you should shut up and you should just keep listening to me because I know better than you. And nobody wants to hear that. Um, but I think as human beings, you know, we wanna be right. But we need to do the work to say, well, this is what I think about global uh, warming. This is what I think about climate change. And here, here's why I think so. Mm-hmm. And you can apply that to anything. You, you know, you, we all make choices whether we're going to wear a mask when we walk out the door. Um, we all make that decision. But then it becomes a political fight over whether the grocery store can require masks, whether the, the governor can order that mask be worn or not, whether the president should say something or not. And again, so look how quickly it becomes political,
0: but everything's political do you think that uh, like like we said earlier that like people you know they they don't really want to do the work you know they're busy and everything and they're getting they're getting a lot of this information from like just TV because they might even they might not even have the time to read or like uh, clips from Twitter from maybe like CNN Fox own all these different networks how do you think those because i am i I was gonna ask you this later but i feel like now is a good time to kind of put this in about the control that these networks have and like the hierarchy at these networks because if i'm sure you heard in um if not earlier this week but last week you know there was there was clips surfacing of the ceo of cnn talking about trump and how great of guy he was and then there was cuomo talking to um i think it was trump's lawyer Uh, several years back and giving him legal advice. But, you know, CNN as a network is doing all this anti-Trump, 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 anti-Republican. But then you have the CNN talking great about the guy. It's like, I, it, it just becomes so hard. And I'll say this, you know, for me personally, to just get information and just find a lot of these big news organizations trust, like trustworthy. I feel like a lot of local, local level things, like maybe, you know, the Daily Texan, the University Star, um, the Texas Tribune, just off the top of my head, much more engaged and targeted towards the community, are much more trustworthy. But a lot of people don't really go to these these outlets for their information, so they're getting it from these big news corporations. So how 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 is like the public able to get trust in those, or if they if they're struggling to trust those, what advice would you have for people to get better information?
1: Yeah, great question. And it's a it's a real challenge because, you know, people have limited time, they're living under, you know, tremendous stress and circumstances, and so it's probably not on the top of their list, right, you know, to get reliable information, unless it directly impacts them, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I think that it really comes from experience. You know, this is not, you know, you flip the switch and you're done, You know, you don't push a button and you say, okay, there, I solved the issue of getting reliable information. I'm glad that's done. What's next on my list? That is something we do every single day and that we do over time. You know, so I would say, you know, the major uh, broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, they all do an excellent job providing national news, you know, and talking about what's going on with the wildfires in Oregon and California or the flooding going on in Louisiana and in the South because of. Hurricane Sally. You know, I think we can rely on those news organizations because they have a long track record of being reliable. Um, what people have to uh, understand is not to mistake whether they don't like criticism of their politician for, um, for unreliable news. Um, and that's the difficult thing for people to kind of separate. You know, that politicians are in office and their number one goal is to remain in office. And so they're going to respond to negative coverage. But the press and, you know, news organizations, uh, their, their goal, you know, their role is to, to be accountable or to, to hold government officials accountable. Uh, they uh, act on behalf of the people. Um, and that's the real challenge here because people don't always believe what they're getting from these news organizations. Now, they're not perfect. They're human institutions. They're gonna make mistakes. Uh, but I think by and large, you know, these are news organizations, these cable news organizations, online news organizations. You mentioned Texas Tribune, an excellent online news source in Texas. You know, they have a, an excellent track record for uh, representing the people, holding government and public figures accountable um, for the people and they have a track record of reliability. But this is why it's important to diversify your news sources so that you don't get fooled, so that you don't think that this story is true when no one else is reporting it. There might be a reason why no one else is reporting it. Um, But you only know that if you can diversify your news sources or if you find news sources that are more down the middle rather than partisan on one side or the other.
0: Um, A real challenge, though, it's it's not easy at all, not easy at all no it's um it's not and it gets frustrating talking to people you know about a, a wide variety of topics and they're just so honed in on their own mindset about you know i'm going to learn everything about this and ignore the other side you know i'm going to i'm going to adjust my thinking to align with what i've heard what i've read and not take criticism or any other opinions or valid um, criticisms of my own ideology. And I think that's like what you said earlier is that people just need to diversify where they get information. I've, I've definitely tried to do that, especially during this time of the pandemic, because I found myself watching a lot of things that I was agreeing with, you know, and that like, I was like, yeah, you know, they're right. But I had to catch myself and I'm like, oh, you know, this is this is hand tailored for me and my way of thinking. So I definitely think getting out of that bubble is a great way to just learn more about like the world as a whole. Because I feel like a lot of people get caught up in their bubbles and just mm-hmm. in their social in their um social ways. So to kind of veer topics a bit, what was your um just give me an overall how you feel about like everything going on, not necessarily now, because it's not the height, but like with the protest, kind of like it goes in line with the First Amendment, because a lot of people had their First Amendment suppressed, maybe by the police, the media, you know, people attacking reporters. What's your what's your take on that?
1: So um, on one hand, you know, I'm very encouraged to see that people are so passionate that they're speaking out about um, issues that have long been in our communities and in our country, things that have got swept away, things that have been ignored for far too long. Um, it's really chilling to me. You know, I was born in the 1960s, but I didn't experience the civil rights movement. That's something I learned in history books like you and, and many others. Um, yet what I learned about the civil rights movement, I see some similarities going on today, you know, with reaction by police, with um the suppression of these expressions you know but i also see a lot of a reason for hope you know i do see some changes occurring i do see that these conversations are enduring that they haven't been swept under the rug that you know especially black lives matter uh movement has really taken on a a, a fort, as a force you know to be reckoned with and that's affecting the presidential election they're talking about issues involving you know, how to reallocate funds, you know, away from police into mental health services or other emergency services, you know, and and so there are discussions that I think are valuable and there's civic engagement. People are participating they're expressing their opinions and of course they're going to be people that have opposing opinions and the way that we resolve those kinds of issues as we've, that we've always done in our country is to do it at the ballot box. you know we vote for representatives and they are this is a representative democracy. they are supposed to represent our interests and then they uh, create laws that are supposed to improve society for everyone so that we can live up to our ideals about justice and equality for everybody. And so, on one hand, when I see these protests, there are people that are saying that we are not, as a country, living up to the ideals that uh, we said we were going to live up to. And to me, that's a problem. If people don't have um, equity um, and access to justice and to living the life that they want in the way that they envision, the pursuit of happiness, as Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, You know, so these are issues that are very difficult, um, you know, and and, and I'm particularly worried about journalists being attacked um, in some documented cases by police officers, even those who are wearing press credentials. Um, There have been some in the last week, you know, and and that is uh, highly disturbing to me for people whose job it is to cover these protests, to inform the rest of us about what's going on and we have a violent response from a group that should not respond in that way to somebody that's simply covering an event. Um, So my background as a journalist, of course, I teach in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication, I'm particularly concerned about treatment of journalists, but also concerned about the treatment of of citizens uh, when they're expressing themselves. Um, You know, There seems to be a double standard um, in how police respond to some protesters on some issues versus other protesters on another issue, um, you know to me th- those are like those are like red flags going up saying you know that there, there's something not quite right. Uh, people need to be heard on this issue and we need to do something about it. we can 't just give it lip service and expect it to go away um, and and I think there's a lot of staying power here for a lot of these protesters because they 're seeing that their voices are being heard they 're seeing that the possibility for change maybe has never been greater, um, and we'll see what happens in the coming months. Uh, but this is a long-term deal. This is not going to fix itself, you know, in a matter of days or weeks or months. This may take years, but we can improve, and we can try to improve things for everyone. But it's going to take all of us, and that's that's not going to be easy. So that's that's kind of my perspective as a journalism instructor, you know, kind of watching this, but also very interested in the free speech issues, of course, uh, because that's my area.
0: So, like, um, have you brought up the free speech issues? Because do you feel like, in in some sense, kind of the First Amendment, not to be dramatic, is, like, under attack, you know, because you see, like, for example, in D.C., when um, Trump took the photo op with the Bible, and, you know, they were gassing the people that were peacefully protesting in the front, or in Portland, you know, all the people that were protesting peacefully and do you feel like that's getting in that area of kind of just suppressing these people voice their their voices and do you feel like that's setting a precedent to where if it's not gonna be punished now, it's gonna keep happening. That's my fear. Yeah, so so it's I wanna, not a, I wanna, hear, I wanna yeah. hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, pardon me. I didn't mean to uh, speak over you. Oh no, no you're good. Um um it's not a legal precedent, but it is disturbing if you have the president or the executive branch or government officials you know, make decisions based on political reasons for how there's going to be a police response and how they're going to respond. Um, that's a big concern, and I think that's what a lot of people are seeing, some people for the first time. Um, it really makes you question, you know, whether we're in a country that believes in these values of free speech. We say we do, and I think that there's lots of evidence that people do have the right to free speech because we see all sorts of opinions being expressed, right? So, So I don't think we're at the point where um, uh, uh, the free speech rights are going away, but we have in law, we talk about the chilling effect. The chilling effect is when government acts in a certain way to silence people or to suggest that they might be threatened if they express a wrong opinion or an opinion they don't like. And so I think these very strong displays of strength by police officers using tear gas, for example, which is illegal in international contexts and should not be used on US citizens. Um, And yet they feel like this is necessary to control a crowd or to do whatever. Um, That's a big concern for me um, about why is that happening? Should that be happening? Uh, Does that raise questions about whether some people are not uh, enjoying their First Amendment rights or have access to the same First Amendment rights as others. Uh, I think it's real telling, for example, when you have people that protest on the other side of the political spectrum, say about uh, protesting against the mask mandates, um, you know, police aren't responding to that with tear gas or with attack dogs or with water hoses. You know, people aren't getting shot in those situations. Um, And, you know, why is that? You know, and I don't think it's a random thing, you know, but, you know, it, but it's laid to bear. I mean, I think the facts are before us and to not grapple with those and have a reckoning of understanding why is this happening? What can we do to be better? Um, how can we live up to the ideals of our country um, that we say that we have? Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's going to take all of us to do that
0: what do you think is going to happen in terms of the media landscape with the upcoming election? Like, how do you think the results of that is going to affect how, what what role the media plays? Because I think currently, and oh, frankly, over these past couple of years with the coining of the term fake news, it's, um, it's become kind of just a scapegoat for a lot of people, uh, Politicians, especially, and mainly on the right, right wing, but there are definitely left wing people that just say, you know, you this is bad coverage about me. It's fake. So I think it's it's going to be interesting how after this election, whoever wins, Biden or Trump, how the media is. So I, I just want to get your take on that.
1: Yeah, so it's a hard question to answer, right, because, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball and tell you what's going to (laughs) happen. You know, nobody, nobody knows, Um, you know, but I I think the role of of news organizations is not to be one-sided or the other. I think, I think their role is to hold uh, government accountable for their actions, no matter who's in office. So I would expect, no matter what happens in November with the election, no matter who the next president is, whether Trump is reelected or we have a new president in Biden, I would expect news organizations to continue to do what they do, and that is to represent the people, to hold government accountable, because the government has power over our lives. They can make our lives very difficult. They can make our lives impossible to live. This is part of the outcry of the Black Lives Matter movement You know, they feel like they're being subjected to violence, to state-instituted violence, and something needs to be done. This needs to stop, you know, and the use of smartphones and videos documents this time and time again. Why does this keep happening? Like, why do, why are there images of Black people who are struggling under a police um, grappling and saying that they can't breathe and then dying in police custody? That has got to stop when there is not, a threat of violence, when there is not a, a struggle where a police officer truly um, has his or her life in danger. You know, the, the, the job of police is very difficult. I mean, there's no question about that. But these videos really expose something kind of ugly about our world and our country. You know, so, you know, again, um, I didn't mean to trail off a little bit, but that's no, kind of where the question- really
0: Good, you're really good. That's where, the,
1: that's where, the, that's where the question took me um, but you know, your question about, uh, covering the election and the aftermath, um, my hope is that news organizations continue to do what they do. And that is to do their best to inform us so that we can make the best decisions we can. Uh, because again, I think there are a lot of hardworking journalists that are out there. There are lots of good news organizations that are trying to inform us. And, and I would expect that they would continue to do that.
0: So, uh, based off your response, I could tell, you know, this, um, this, this time period of all these protests and uproar and just social unrest is really like sparked in you. Would you say so?
1: Well, I mean, it's something I'm very interested in because it's directly related to uh, the topics that I teach my students. And I tell my students, you know, I mean, I think they can tell that I'm passionate about these issues. And part of the reason I love teaching the media law class in particular is because every semester is different. There's new stuff that happens that's directly related. You know, we just we just covered a flag burning in my media law class, and at the political rally in Las Vegas, the president said that, you know, in his view, that someone that burns a flag should be jailed for a year and fined, um, and the Supreme Court, you know, more than 20 years ago, almost 30 years ago, uh, 31 years ago, ruled that flag burning is protected by the First Amendment as a form of symbolic expression. So, we can agree or disagree whether you should burn a flag or not, but... Is it protected by the First Amendment? Well, yes, it is a symbolic speech because that's what the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in cases in 1989 and 1990. Now, the president can have an opinion; he expressed it. But again, it just goes to show how relevant to me the media law class is, because it's media law is happening all around us, and I I endeavor to make that connection for my students so that they can see it's not just a history class. We're not just talking about a case from 50 years ago. It's got great relevance to everything going on today. Um, so that's, that's how I kind of think about those things.
0: Um, another question I wanted to ask you was in, in terms of dealing with ignorance, uh, around people who just like, like we talked about earlier, who are just dead set on their opinion, what's, what's the best way to go at them? Because I know you and I had talked about, you know, presenting the facts like, Hey, look, this is what happened. This is the aftermath of the happen. And this is how we need to go forward. Then these are facts. How would you how do you go against somebody that's like you know well that's what that's what the media wants you to think they're brainwashing you you can't listen to them look at this instead how how do you go about that because I I find myself very frustrated in that like th- this is this is real life you know I'm not nobody's trying to pull a joke on you so I just I, I understand that to to a certain ex- to a certain extent you can only combat ignorance so much. And the best way to combat ignorance is with, with information and, and education, but it gets frustrating for me personally. So I just wanted to see if maybe you have some, some knowledge that I don't.
1: <laughs> I don't know that I have any knowledge that you don't, but <laughs> I think what I would say is that um, it's important to remember our humanity and the humanity of people around us, even those that we might consider to be ignorant or, you know, to not have the same privilege that we do, right? You know, we, we operate on a college campus. We're privileged because we have access to education. You know, I have had access to multiple levels of education. I've been very lucky and fortunate, um, and I use that in my job every day. You know, you're fortunate because you work for a student media organization. You're a college student. You have access to resources that a lot of people in the community don't have access to, you know, for a variety of reasons. So I think responding with empathy is always a good first step. And so if someone is shouting in your face, you can say, look, I'll, I'll talk to you about this, but we can't really have a meaningful conversation if all you want to do is shout at me. You know, and so when you decide you don't want to shout at me anymore, or if you're using, you know, vulgar language, or if you're calling me names, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't think this can be productive. Sometimes you know, we have to respect ourselves enough to disengage uh, in those situations. But otherwise, if someone says, you know, I think you're being fooled, look at what I read, you know, and you can say, well, okay, I took a look at what you read. um, And I found that, you know, it comes from this site that's known for having unreliable information for jokes. They also did this and this and this. Here are some sources I read, let me share them with you. These news organizations that are more down the middle, these scientific organizations or whatever, you know, I think, I mean, I get that, Frustration happens, but if you don't respond with empathy, then you never even get to that point where someone says You know what? I took a step back. I took a look at what you shared with me And I think you're right about this and now a dialogue has started now That's not always gonna happen. That's ideal. But again, if, if you're not so sure you're right, okay, you know what I said earlier so you come at me with something and I say, no, 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 you're wrong. And you she's like, no, 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 I'm right. Here it is. I just read it. This is true. You see, if you respond that way, people are going to shut down, right? But if you respond, you know, w- with more compassion, with more empathy and say, well, I've never thought about that before. I've never seen that article. Well, let me take a look. Um, it's like, well, I'm, I'm not sure I trust where that information's coming from. I don't know who put that out. I've never heard of this news organization. I don't see other news organizations reporting this. You know, so, you know, but but see that's part of that comes from a college education. Part of that comes from thinking critically of trying to weigh different things so that we can make a determination. Um, But not everybody's going to want to do that and not and you're not going to be able to reach everybody. Um, But it's it's understandable be frustrated. You know, you have your buddies. Talk to them and say, "Oh, I'm so frustrated. I can't believe this." <laughs> Vent to them. I mean, that's what they're there for, you know. But you know, as a member of a student news organization, you know, don't make that part of your your public persona on social media, right? Like, like take a more middle ground. Take a more you know reasonable approach. You know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll hear you out, you know. But then also set boundaries. You know, if you start calling me names, if you start shouting at me well, you know, then, then I just don't think this can be a meaningful conversation. But otherwise, let's talk.
0: Well, um, I, I, w- I will say it's not it's not necessarily to the point of like, you know, anger and, and rage. It's more of just like, dude, like the, these, this is the real information. And, you know, I, I, um, I don't really talk about a lot of this stuff on, on my, my social and like I'm, I'm not very confrontational in that aspect. But it's just more so you see something and you shake your head and then maybe you see a buddy talk about it and you guys, you, you guys, are, you, you, you may disagree, but you're like, look, this is, this is real. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to pull a fast one on you. This is information. And I think, like you said, I, I honestly think that's what's missing in a lot of you know, what's happening in America. You know, a, a lot of people don't, aren't willing to step out of their own shoes and just say, Oh, wow. This is this is what it, this is what the reality is for somebody who's not me, and um, I, I I agree heavily with that with that point and um, yeah I, uh, that was really good information thank you.
1: Well, you're welcome. And think about it this way also, uh, think about your own journey. You know, like maybe there was an issue that you were sure about until you learned more, until you thought critically, until you got the right information, the real information, and then you changed your mind on something. Well, everybody that you encounter, they're at a different point in that journey. So consider that they're really reflections of yourself. Maybe someone less educated at this point in time than you are right now. Maybe someone that doesn't have access to education. Maybe someone that hasn't responded with, well, I'll listen to what you have to say and let's share some ideas. They're at a different point in, in their journey. but. None of that happens if we let the frustration take over and say, okay, I'm done. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, forget it. Well, then you've missed out on the opportunity to actually have a meaningful conversation. Again, this isn't easy and it's not for everybody. And we have to pick and choose when we're going to decide to do that. Some people have decided that they want to do that online all the time. And that can be exhausting. You know, we're busy enough as it is. Um, but, you know, if you have neighbors, you know, people in your apartment complex, if you have friends of friends, you know, those might be the opportunities, family members even, you know, where you can have those kinds of conversations. So when someone says something about, you know, the Democrats and a child sex ring, and oh my gosh, can you believe it? And you're like, you know, that, that's, that's not uh, true information, you know, based on the sources that I have. And, you know, the more that you say that, you know, the more you're showing your own ignorance about that. You know, right. so let, let's, let's talk about it. You know, where are you getting that information from? You know, what, here are some stories that show, you know, that that's not what's going on. Um, and at some point you might just have to say, okay, we're, we're, just, we're just not gonna agree. And so for a lot of families, it's kind of been fractured that way where you have families that don't agree on things. And it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult and very tough.
0: I, I, think, I think you're 100% right. Um, especially to the point where, you know, everybody is on, that, on a different path. You know, because there were definitely things, um, you know, two years ago, I had no idea about I was just single minded, one way of thinking. And then, you know, different people were educating me about, you know, privilege and, and different things that adversity that other people face that I don't. And that's really what made me more empathetic. So I, uh, I definitely agree with you with that. Um, I think, like you said, in terms of just saying, hey, look, this is the information you can do what you want. You know, I'm, I'm gonna put in as much as I can, but I'm not gonna break my back over trying to help you and give you the right information. So I, um, I definitely think you're right in that aspect. Um, I hope a lot more people can take that mindset. I think it's really important. And I think that's what we're missing, especially now in this political climate, you know, and um, I think as we talked about earlier, not too many people are on polar opposites a lot more people are in the middle so i think that kind of brings us hope and that maybe you know we can have some in between some some in between i think um, i think that'd be really progressive in terms of the in terms of where this country can go
1: yeah i Uh, agree i agree
0: um i think we're gonna end it on that note i've uh kept you for a while we're almost out of time thank you again for coming on. Uh, Seriously, it it means a lot. I really enjoyed our conversation and um, I I learned more than I had known prior about the media and the importance of the media has on the public and just the overall knowledge. So thank you again.
1: Of course, Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, I greatly enjoyed this conversation. It was a continuation of what we did at Camp Star and look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you so much for the invitation, Kim.
0: Me too. Thank you, Professor Martinez. I will see everybody next Friday. Star sit down. Had a lot of fun. Bye-bye.